On this week's Bet the Process podcast, we will be talking about the post-legalization world, what that might look like, what the business opportunities might look like. And we'll also be talking a little bit about burritos and tortillas, et cetera. So, uh, and as always, the Bet the Process podcast is brought to you by the Sports Action app, which is the best app to track all of your sports betting information, picks, et cetera. And it's available for free on the iTunes store and on Google Play. So with that, let's start the process. Welcome to another edition of the Bet the Process podcast, um, where we're going to be exploring the post-legalization world from a business standpoint, um, and also just sort of like thinking about what we believe is going to happen. Rufus, I welcome you in from the States, correct? New York City, yeah. New York City. What are you doing in New York City? I am. I'm just here for... Uh, one day, and then I'm heading up to New Haven for my 10-year college reunion. Are you going to go to Frank Pepe's? You know, it, probably not, to be quite honest. I, I, what I'm really excited about is the burrito cart huh. on the corner of York and Elm, which I hope is still there. I think maybe if you're into burritos, you need to move to California because the burritos out here are insane. No, they definitely are. You're right about that. Uh, so but they're going to be even better in Mexico City in August. Where I don't even know if that's. That, I don't know if that's true. That you know, like it's possible that we have better, like phony American Mexican food than Mexico does. Well, I, I don't think you beat the Mexico City tacos. Probably not. But they're all going to be corn tortillas. They're not going to be flour tortillas. I love corn tortillas. Way better than flour. Here's Ugh. a question: Why are there no uh, corn tortilla burritos? My theory is that the corn tortillas somehow like you can't make them big enough to actually stay together. Like this is no, they won't. They they won't fold that way. They'll yeah. fall apart. Okay, corn tortillas. Will so fall I was apart. right. I was right. You could definitely make them big enough. Like why? Why wouldn't you be able to make them big enough? That's that seems like right. ludicrous. Big enough recall. without having them fall apart is what I meant. Well, I think you can make them big enough, but as soon as you start to fold them, as if they're not completely warm, they're not pliable anymore. Okay. I'm sure people <laughs> listen to this podcast and listen to us talk about burrito Brilliant. consistency and tortillas. So by the way, that, wait, Pepe's pizza is is very, very good, but there's always a really long line. Have you seen this show on Netflix called Ugly Delicious with David no. Chang? It's an amazing show. You need to watch it. If all you guys who listen to this podcast you need to watch Ugly Delicious. Um, it's and the first episode they basically explore pizza and they go to Frank Pepe's and it makes you really just want to eat pizza. Okay, so are we, are we ready for the parallels between pizza and sports betting? Yes, I want to hear it. I thought you had them. <laughs> Is this like pizza and sex? Even when it's bad, it's fine. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. So yeah. Okay, yeah. let's get into the actual. <laughs> the actual notion of, of what we're talking about here. Um, what do you think changes? You know, we talked to both Jeff Ifra and Ryan Rodenberg about sort of the legalization. And then we talked a little bit about just the impact that, that it's going to have and how it works in the States and et cetera. What, 
impact do you think it's going to have on like businesses that are going to be created? I, I know you and I have been talking a little bit about the tout industry. Um, we're scared that this is going to create more touts um, and more people sort of running rampant, uh, talking about you know how to make money in this field and 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 not actually being able to help you make money. And then and then you had like a, a tweet that you talked about. Um, tout monitoring services and then also just the general sort of notion of, of the difficult conversations that happen on, on Twitter. I guess my first question for you is what's your biggest fear when it comes to the legalization world um, and, and sort of what's going to happen in the tout industry? Well, I mean, I think my biggest fear is pretty obvious that, that tout, the tout industry is going to explode and that there, it's going to be unchecked and that you're going to have a lot of novice bettors entering the sports betting arena who fall victim to these touts and the touts make a lot of money off of them. Uh, I think that it's going to be very interesting to see what... See, well, So I don't really know what sports betting media really is aside from picks. I mean, I think you and I are trying to provide that right now. And I think the Action Network to an extent is too. And it's going to be, but they do provide picks as well. That's the thing. But they're trying to at least, you know, have, it's not just picks. It's a, it's a discussion and a conversation. Like I read some article about how cryptocurrencies are affecting sports betting. Like to me, that that is an interesting sports betting related article, right? Um, that does not revolve around picks. But I just don't know if there's enough, if, if there's enough content for that. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good point. And I think that's an interesting question because the whole idea of this podcast, right. That the process is talking about the process behind making picks rather than giving you picks themselves. But what we always find is that people want picks and that, and, and that's sort of like, again, like the, the action network will go back to them because you know, we were originally when we started this podcast, which, you know, we don't we don't have advertising on it right now. We're sponsored by Sports Action, which basically just means that they help pay for the production costs, which are minimal on this. Um, Brian Mead, who started Sports Action, the actual app, not the content behind the app, but the actual app is a good friend of mine. And, and you know, and, and, you know, him, and we've wanted to support him in this endeavor. But as the content on Sports Action Network has started to evolve, we've obviously started to feel a bit more challenged by the relationship because of the notion that they have people on there giving picks who I would say don't really know what they're doing to some degree or, or at least are not providing winning information. They certainly do. You know, Chad, who, who runs that, is knows editorial and, and is a strong um, editorial voice. Is he a strong you know, person in understanding how to make winning sports bets? Probably not. And, you know, how many people, again, this is when you get back to this thing, how many people who actually can can help you make money betting sports are going to give that information away? And the answer is, is not very many. Uh, and it's the reasons are obvious because it's not in their um, best interest to do that. Now, the question becomes, you know, the the biggest uh, parallel that I always think about when I think about this is is stock picking. And I was with this guy, Ted Lucas, who uh, ran a company called Lattice, which got bought. And it was essentially one of the first big sort of ETF funds 
um, he and I were talking about the parallels between this and stock picking. And he's told me that 93% of like the stock pickers out there do not beat the S&P 500. So it's, it's not dissimilar to sort of this whole concept that most touts are not, you know, winning at any clip that'll help you overcome VIG. Um, and, and therein lies sort of the rub here, right? So well, I guess the question is like, do you, do you trade stocks at all? Uh, not individual stocks anymore. I mean, but I'm wait. basically just in, well, because look, okay, the two ways to win in a, in a market are to have better information, right? Or to process the information better than other people do. And I don't think I have better information at all. I think I have like inferior information. I think there's a lot of inside information there. So there's absolutely no reason for me to even try to process it. Okay, so let's go back to the sports analogy then. I, I like those two things. One, information asymmetry. Is there a way to still get information asymmetry in sports? Um, yeah, well, I like to make sure I have at least as good information as anybody else that isn't like completely... Like, yeah, I don't have inside information. I don't know if like Bubba Watson had a fight with his wife last night or anything like that, but I think I have pretty good information. I have the best data that, that money can buy. So, okay. Um, and then you then fundamentally believe that you're processing the data better than anyone else. Not, not anybody or else. Not anyone else. No, no, no. Well, no, then, no, but then, I think I'm then, processing it better than the market. Better than right. the market. Uh, fine. You're always very, you're always very uh, humble to say that you're not the best sports better in the world, which I profess you to be. No, so, I'm definitely not. I have a t-shirt. That the, says, be, the best sports better in the world, Jeff, is not even doing a podcast or telling anybody about it. <laughs> And actually, he might be in jail. Is he, yeah. I was about to say, is he in jail? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you uh, know what? I, somebody asked me uh, the other day if, if with, with Billy Walters in jail, if like it's eliminating some of my competition and markets are less efficient. That's a like, fair oh, question. Do you think? Yeah, I hadn't thought about his it. His operation is probably still going on, though, independent of him, isn't it? I doubt it because I don't know. At least from the sixty minutes thing, like. And the articles about him, he was the the sort of spoke in the middle. Um, wait, which one's the hub or the spoke? I don't know. He was the hub. Sorry, he was the hub. connecting all the spokes. spokes. The, yes. yeah. yeah. So like, like n none of the people that worked for him knew the other people. So I think without him, it ceases to exist. Okay, let's let's but go back to that. Let's go. Stock let's go to, No, no, this is interesting though. You talked about data, right? And one of the things that we wanted to talk about today are. You know, what are the business opportunities that come out of, of this? Not just the media opportunities, but the business opportunities. And, and I've been pretty vocal in believing that there's an opportunity to create a better data business, um, once, especially once sports betting becomes legal, because the current data businesses that are out there are not good. Um, they're, they're not accurate. They're not, um, they're not quality. And Wait, what, what I mean, mean by, by that, data business, though? Um, Stats Inc., Sport Radar. Um, the actual businesses that provide data to media companies and potentially to gamblers. Um, what I always say this is like, it's like as if you were trying to trade stocks and you didn't know if you had accurate stock info, right? That's what this is similar to right now, because oftentimes it, it isn't correct. And so um, I, you know, fundamentally believe that there is, um, you know, an opportunity to um, do something in that world where it hasn't been done before in terms of stock, in terms of providing more accurate, less latent, um, 
you know, play by play or score information. I so guess maybe what you're is, talking what is about inaccurate. Different... What is inaccurate about like StatSync information or sports radars information? Well, Are so there you anything don't, specific? You, I don't, you don't use those. No, you don't sweat games like I do, right? You don't sweat right. games on your phone quite like I do. And when you're sweating a game on your phone and you're using any of the mobile apps, which are beholden to the actual providers, you're going to see crazy shit sometimes like so-and-so threw the ball for minus 700 yards. And you're going to be like, uh, Oh, that's ESPN. I remember that. that that's not just model. And then, and that, then but, there was a roughing the passer penalty for 8,000 yards on the next play. That was great. Yeah. And then in the NBA, uh, even in, in baseball this year, it's been so rough because sometimes teams will get four outs, which I didn't know that would happen in baseball, but that's cool. If you can figure out a way to get four outs, then you can score more runs, I well, think. You know, last you, week, wait, last week, Patrick Reed got a hole in one on a par, a par four that was 450 yards, according, dude, according, he, to, according to shot length. Well, you know, maybe so that's like, why people don't... Maybe that's why his teammates at Georgia didn't like him. Maybe it's not because he didn't steal, but it's maybe it's because he was too good and he could make maybe, maybe, albatrosses. Well, maybe he just albatross. took the ball and put it in the hole and hoped nobody would notice. And they didn't. And Shotlink did not notice for a little while. And there he like walked up and he was like, I don't know where my ball is. I don't know where my ball Oh wait, look, I think it's in the cup. Wow. That's why I always carry two balls with me no matter no matter where I go. <laughs> I just carry two balls in general. But, yeah. You know. Okay. Okay. Uh, wait, um, so, so Jeff, no, but, but that's the, like a lot of these times, like that, the, the Patrick Reed example comes from the PGA Tour. And I think all the data there is coming from the PGA Tour. And so, like, if sometimes if there's an error with StatSync or Sports Radar, it could be coming from the actual original, the, the data originator. Right. But, but that's nothing you can do but, about that. Let, that's not true. Like, well, it's if you wanted to start a business, right? Yeah, you're gonna hire somebody out there to like go to all the games. The, and... You're gonna tell the PGA, you don't know how to do this well. Let me do this for you. I'll give you small a small percentage equity in this new entity that I'm going to spin up, and I'm gonna do this for you, and I'm gonna do this better than you because I know how to do it. Um, and then you can actually now. Now this is where it gets into some interesting stuff. Like then you can actually tell the leagues like instead of being stupid and trying to charge an integrity fee let's instead have you uh force or require the 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 you know everyone to to say that this is the actual you know official feed and if you want to do in-game betting or something like that you need to use this official feed to be a and that's how you make money off of this uh and by the way you know i like gonna, i don't, you're not gonna, I don't the PGA Tour does an incredible job, I think, of actually their data is top notch. They have, I mean, it's a huge operation. They have like so many volunteers like tracking. I mean, they, you know, people with every single golfer out there tracking, you know, marking down the spot where the ball like, you know, lies at rest. I don't know, Rufus. I I believe that it's a good operation, but I believe that it could be a lot better via technology and via an independent party that's coming in that specializes at this. I just see way too many mistakes um, in all of these different feeds for me to believe that there can't be ways to improve them. And maybe okay, so I'm so being naive and, but like, I, I just don't, I don't believe that this is as good as it can get. Yeah. I mean, there's always room for improvement, but I don't think that 
there's really an op. I, I don't see the opportunity there personally. But right. I mean, I don't. Even if you have an occasional mistake, I mean, if you were like ESPN's data feed, then yes, I would see, see a huge opportunity. If that was like the official data feed, but like his, you know betting on football and stuff over the years and betting like second halves. I saw there was, I was dependent on ESPN for a while and Oh my God, it was, it was rough. Like there, there were plenty of errors in there. Um, but I, I just think that aside from, I mean, if there, you know, I think overall maybe for in game it matters, but I think that the data is going to be good for at the, after, at the end of the game. Right. I mean, or are we talking about big errors there? Um, I think they correct a lot of those. Like, I don't think there's big errors there. Um, and I think when you talk about having the best data possible, you're talking about the post, the, the post right. data for the most yeah. part. Um, what about, what about companies like second spectrum or pro football focus? Do you think that they have a larger opportunity now to take some of the stuff they're doing and, or, or build stuff on top of it, which creates an opportunity, um, for, you know, more advanced, um, fans or sports betters to analyze that information. Well, I don't. What's Second Spectrum? Second Spectrum is the the company that does a lot of the player tracking information for the ah, NBA, okay. and they're the ones that like when they say like, oh, so and so, you know, ran this many miles or ran at this speed or, you know, which is interesting because some there, there's a thought that maybe you could look at this stuff and understand like, is Steph Curry really injured? Um, at the beginning of the playoffs, when Steph Curry came back, there was talk that, you know, his knee still bothered him. And the last time that the the Warriors lost in the playoffs, a lot of it was because Steph was hurt and he couldn't move laterally. And they're like, can something like second spectrum help you understand, is he really hurt? Because you can see how much he's moving side to side versus versus not. Or the speed at which he's moving side to side. I think without a doubt, that kind of data is extremely valuable because it's different. Right. I mean, it's something that if everybody's using the same data and you have something different to supplement that data, of course, it's going to be useful. And I mean, I don't know how good pro football focuses like rankings actually are for things. But the fact that they're measuring things that other people aren't is always like I think is always going to make it valuable, provided that it doesn't suck. But 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 you can go. I mean, the great thing is I can go look through and find out if it actually adds value. What about what about companies like Football Outsiders or Fangraphs? Um, do you think that they should move? You know, Football Outsiders obviously does uh, give and sell picks, and it's been sort of noted that their picks are pretty damn shitty. Um, do you think there's an opportunity for these kind of companies to try to actually take what they do and and, and make it much, you know, spend a bit more time on it than? You know, the the sort of I think the criticism of a football outsiders is not that they don't know football and not that their content isn't good, but they don't understand gambling. And when they um, they don't ever, I, I guess, regress to the market is a lot of what the issue is or they, they don't understand. I, 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 you know, essentially it's the results are not very good. And so and the process by which they get them is not very good. But do you think that there is something interesting that like those types of people who look at sports in a different way or come up with different analytical frameworks for sports, should they start spending more time on, um, you know, the potential of, of sports betting? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think, I think those sites are, uh, you know, will be helped by uh, legalization of sports betting for sure. I don't think it's because they're 
they offer picks or, I mean, I don't think offering picks is what their value is. I think that their value is the work they do and that can be used to, to create a, a model to, you know, come up with good picks. Right. Yeah. Like I think, I think that that's what I think. That's where I think there's a lot of value. Basically, I mean, to me, that's in a way a data business, right? It's providing, or it's, you know, Football Outsiders provides a proprietary statistic, DVOA, um, which is an interesting st- statistic for sure. I don't personally use it um, in any of my modeling, but I think it's, um, it's, it's interesting. And, and, you know, fan graphs. Have you ever tried? Have you ever tried to use it? Have you ever tried to use DVOA? You know, not really me because I can kind of in a way I could kind of create my own version of it. Right. Um, but I've used the same, con- I've, I've, I've looked at that concept of basically how much value is added per play. Um, and I think it's a really great explanatory thing, but I don't think it's necessarily as predictive in certain cases. Yeah. For example, like a goal, lot, like fourth and one at the opponent's one yard line, you know, a successful play is going to be, I mean, like the, you know, the amount, um, the value you're adding with a, a touchdown there is immense and the amount you're losing is immense if you don't score but right i mean so so i think that play gets overvalued yeah um i think it's interesting because you know that and maybe that's like the football outsiders problem right is that they espouse dvoa it's like this this all-in metric that's going to help you beat the market um, when it may not be particularly predictive or a good way to actually beat the market, but as but um, as one metric, as far as one metric goes, I think it's a pretty good metric. But yeah, I would, yeah, I mean, but I'm not gonna. I I don't want to say you're gonna you're not gonna be able to beat the market just with that metric. I don't believe that. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about becoming an operator um, in this world? Like that's one of the things. I, so I've t- I've talked to yeah. So I've talked to. Um, probably five to 10 different high level execs in both the sports world and the sports betting world since the legalization has come out. And what I've, what I've tried to talk to them about is try to understand like where they're going and what they're trying to do and what they're focused on. And to a man, they're all, they all believe like this, this, like there's this opportunity and even, even people that you would think would never ever want to dabble or go into this. Um, they're all thinking about how do I become an operator? How do I become the house? And um, my thinking is that being the house, especially initially, is going to be very challenging um, with the taxes that are going to come up and, and sort of all the you know, uh, challenges getting access to different markets and whatnot. It, it's going to be a bit hard. What do you, would you want to become an operator if, like, if uh, you know, Caesars, who has properties in a variety of different states said hey come and build out a um you know operation for us that we'll be able to unleash in all of our different states as they roll out um is that a job that you'd want well first off jeff do you remember it was what maybe almost three years ago where we we actually discussed this like the idea of becoming this was in Nevada, the idea of becoming like a, a sports betting operator, sports book in legally in Nevada. And because we think that and we thought and still think that sports books, a lot of them are not run in a way that is maximizing their profit and also not being really fair to betters. Remember this? Yeah, no, I remember yeah, I, I remember yeah. it for sure. So 
I mean, I, so, I think so. The that, answer is the answer is yes. Yeah, the the answer is definitely yes. That it would be very interesting. And I, what do you think you would but, do but, differently? But the thing is, like, I've had a chance to work. You know, so I worked for Odds Makers in Las Vegas my first year out of college. And when I quit, I got an offer to work for um, because well, so Cantor Gaming. That's what you you know the predecessor to CG Technologies, which is the predecessor to whatever they're going to rebrand themselves as next. Um, they bought Las Vegas Sports Consultants, I think, in like January of '09, and when I I quit in May, and they tried, they actually tried to hire me to um, develop their in-game wagering platform called, which they had already called Midas. They named it Midas, even though they didn't hadn't developed it yet. So, um, which I thought was, you know, a lot of hubris right there. But uh, so, if, if someone hired wanted to hire me to to sort of develop out something, I'd want to know that it would be um, utilized properly. I guess, like no, in this in this like world is one of this world something myself. Like, so I can yeah, basically yeah. set the strategic goals. Like, I would if I ran a book. I mean, I you know I think there's two ways to run a book. One is to take um, is to basically limit sharp action and be really risk averse, and you know make your money off of like squares playing parlays right um you're not gonna have as much handle but you're gonna have you're gonna you're gonna profit your your hold is gonna be very high and you're not gonna have a lot of volatility which is kind of the model for a lot of the books in vegas and then the other model is to kind of do what cantor initially tried to do which is go high volume and expect that like in in you're not gonna you're not your your return is not gonna be very high um your hold percentage i should say um but you're going to make a lot of money because you're going to have a lot of volume, which I think was sort of in a way the Pinnacle model too. But from what I heard, Pinnacle didn't actually make much that much money off of this. So this model hasn't really been successful. Um, but I think that's, I, I don't know. I, I tend to think it could be successful if it was done better. Well, what what's interesting is that, um, when, you know, I was talking to an operator, I probably shouldn't say who, but they were saying that in one of their regions, um, you know, they, they're comparing to what people are saying here, where they're saying like their hold percentages are like five, five and a half percent. They were saying there's one area, one entire country that they're in where their hold percentages are like 11, 11 and a half percent. So it, it could be interesting to see culturally how the legalization situation shakes out in terms of what our, our country looks like and how we embrace sports betting and, and the operate operators could become um, have much better opportunities um, if they evolve um, to reach the masses. Do you think that there is an opportunity to evolve sports betting into like a slightly different product? Yeah, but that I think is. Well, sorry, I, I think to do it, I I almost think. You know, I like it when I ask questions that get you so excited when you interrupt me. <laughs> yeah, I think holding eleven percent is a way kind of like, like, unethical, right? I mean, it's, I don't know, it's, it's really, I don't think it's fair to the betters. I think that, I think the best, I don't know, I think the right way to do it is to charge low commissions and make money off of volume. That's that's, I mean, I think that's the most fair way to the sports better, and I think in the long run you're gonna, you're gonna. I don't know, generate enough goodwill and you, you know, you could become really big that way and end up dominating the market. Yeah, no, I mean, when he told me this, I kind of felt to myself like, oh man, you are preying on these people in this region. Yeah, no, I, and, and I think what I, what I, I guess what I'm more interested in understanding 
Um, and what he was sort of saying was, was that he believes that it's going to evolve in the U.S. Like there's going to be different types of betting. Um, you know, if you think about the, the DFS world and what that's done for us in the fantasy world, do you think there's going to be a world where, where like fundamentally the types of bets offered change or like prop bets or like individual prop bets become more, more interesting to people? You know, I think there's a lot of discussion about that. Um, I've, I've had conversations with um, some people in the media world who are covering this. And a lot of the questions have centered around what about around like prop betting and in-game wagering and, and whether um, and what I think about that. And, you know, I, I, I think, of course, it's going to I mean, I think, of course, that's going to um, grow. The question is, from my perspective, is it important to me? Not really, because I don't think you're going to see the market get to a point where there's where where books are. I mean, I think th those bets are going to basically cater towards recreational gamblers. Books aren't going to take enough. Like the limits are going to continue to be low, right? Like if you're betting in game on golf, like you know whether this guy gets a birdie on the next hole or whether he makes a particular putt, that's not something a book is going to take high volume on at all. Um, yeah, but I but think I it's mean, going to be something really entertaining, and it's going to definitely cater towards the recreational gambler. And I think that's if, most operators what they want to do is find bets that will cater to the recreational gamblers because that's where they're going to make the most money. Right. Right. So maybe they right. don't take high volume in terms of like the size of bets, but maybe they right. get a lot of people to bet on it because a lot of because it's like really fun and interesting to people. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Do you let's, do you let's, where do you think prop betting is going, for example, or in-game wagering? Because in-game wagering is is, you know, I think in Europe they people bet more in-game on soccer than they do pre-game. Are we ever going to see something yeah, but, like that? But this is States? this is this is where like I get into this whole idea of the data being bad because it's you know like there's latency, the reliability of the accuracy of the data. I I can't see someone. Um, confidently betting into um, you know the the markets as they currently are with the data that we have in the U.S. The, the soccer data internationally is a, is so much better. The latency is much lower. The, you know people pay for really great feeds there, I believe, um, and, and from what I've heard. And you know even like if you talk to a company like Sport Radar, they know that the operations and the things that they have in the U.S. are not good, but they don't care because the scrutiny wasn't there. Um, compared to what it was outside of the U.S., um, and so Don't you think um, be more scrutiny now. Yeah, that's my point, right? There, there will be that'll, that'll motivate yes. them to improve. Yes, exactly. That's that's why I think there's an opportunity in the data business. So, but let's let's go back to sort of this whole idea of um, in-game betting. Um, I mean, it it seems like it's the direction everyone wants to go in, and you know, I was with a, an owner of a baseball team. Um, and was sort of talking to him about sports betting and trying to help him understand the landscape. And I said, you know, this is going to be great for baseball because the simple fact that there's so many natural opportunities to in-game bet in baseball. Um, and, you know, there, there's awesome opportunities, natural breaks and like predictable breaks, et cetera. Um, and so I, um, yeah, I, I, th I think it could become huge. I mean, it, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. Um, last topic I wanted to cover before we before we drop off is just this this idea of building a media business on this, and we touched upon this. Um, like, if you were as a sports better, um, 
as someone that 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 you know looks at sports a different way who are the people that you like to see on television who are the people that you find insightful who are the people that you read who are the people that you even follow on twitter like you know obviously there's probably some people you do from an entertainment standpoint but just from your perspective and it doesn't even have to be like oh this person helps me win more bets but just like who do you find that has interesting takes on the game um, because I do believe that like sports betters, serious sports betters have some of the most nuanced understanding of sports. No, I agree. And honestly, I don't want like I, you kind of put me on the spot there. Um, but um, I don't. But but I do think the the people that I follow and the in the articles I read and the content I read, I guess, is not sports betting related content. It's it's about it's generally quant. I mean, a lot of it's quantitative in nature. Um, it's a quant like quantitative look at sports and and um i don't actually i i love sort of long form pieces and long form pieces um sort of you know i i don't know how much that helps me in sports betting but i think anytime you can get a good understanding of something it helps you ask better questions which i think is inevitably what helps you uh make a better model and win more yeah i mean let me me post the same question to you because i think i'm guessing that you have some specific like more specifics than i do right now um I mean, I like to look at, like in the NBA, I like to listen to guys like Zach Lowe. I, his podcast is really good. And because he gets guys on there that really know a lot about basketball and, and can break basketball down. Um, and so I, you know, I think it is interesting to hear like some of the strategy or some of the things like rotations or things that like coaching things that are happening that aren't necessarily going to be captured in a model. Um in in football so and then i'll i also listen to a lot of the mainstream sports betting podcasts not because i'm trying to glean information but i'm i'm trying to hear how the public is thinking and how like generally narratives are being shaped because they sometimes help me think through like why a line is why it is and whether there is some sort of like public bias or recency bias or narrative that's being captured in a line that you know where my model may um be way off from the market i want to try to understand why the market is what it is if it's because it's being shaped by some narrative or if it's because it's being shaped by something i'm completely missing um and uh and then i think generally i'm the same way as you like i'm trying to read or listen to specific people that um have an interesting you know, sort of take on, um, on, on the game, not from a gambling standpoint, because I think often these people that do this aren't gamblers, um, you know, but it's, it's sort of interesting to hear how these non gamblers who are just incentivized to break down the game in a better and different way are thinking about things. So, you know, those are kind of things I look to. And then, and then I'll look at like different analytic systems just to sort of like see where they are. Like I'll look at Ed stuff on the power rank to see where it is. I'll see, you know, like I'll look at, you know, um, back when Brian Burke was doing advanced NFL stats, I, w- I would look at that stuff on his website. Um, so, I'll, and obviously I look at this website called Massey Peabody to see what it's doing and, and how it's, how it's ranking teams and whatnot. So there, there are a few that I read. So what do you, what do you think about a site or, or, or let's say just a reporter, someone who isn't gambling centric, but says something that is, I don't know, makes a prediction that seems off market and, and 
I don't oh, know. I hate, I, I hate that. I hate that. And that's one of the things I hate the most. And one of the things I think that we're already seeing where people are like, oh, I, I need to talk about the spread. I need to, and I, and I need to like dabble in this. And, and they don't have any understanding. Like when you, when you talk to, and you know, I go on different radio shows where the hosts and whatnot often don't know very much about sports betting. And, and, you know, they'll, they'll say things like, oh, you know, like, Cleveland's getting 12 points tonight. Like you get LeBron James and 12 points. That's incredible. You get the best player in the world, second best player, best player ever. And you get 12 and they just don't have any idea or concept of, of betting or, or, or what lines or how lines are made or anything like that. So I, I think that's pretty problematic because you look at these guys as authoritative figures who know sports really well, but they obviously don't know betting at all. Okay, but like, what about an example? Like, do, do you know Neil Greenberg, Washington Post? Um, yeah, sure, he, he sure. The, the, yeah, but he's yeah, he not, he's 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 deaths, pretty he's pretty smart. Shots. Yeah, he's a very smart yeah. guy. Like, I yeah. I've I've met him a few times. He's a really nice guy. Why don't, why don't we have he, him? I bet he'd come something. on our podcast. Okay, that's a good idea. Um, okay. but he wrote something, um, that got the attention of of sort of the gambling Twitter, uh, about how the Caps should be favored to win the Stanley Cup final. Um. I think he said that they should be like 60% to win or something like that. Um, you know, and the market has them as like 40% to win and using, and, and uh, you know, yes, that's off market. And people were like, um, that's so Neil should, someone said, Oh, Neil should be betting 27% of his bankroll then on this. And I think it was Seth Byrne who said that. And I was, I really did not like that criticism. Like, yes, the numbers off market, and he said in the article, I, I looked at the article, he, he said like using something, 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 and something, something metrics, this is what, you know, I would, this is what the price should be. So he, he sort of, I mean, he didn't say how he combined them, but he, but he basically said it was using re- combination of regular season and playoff and blah, blah, blah. So, um, but I don't like the criticism of um, like that he should bet 27% of his income on it because you could say, I mean, you could say he should like, you could say the same thing about some of my numbers that are off market. And just because something's off market doesn't mean that it doesn't provide value necessarily. I mean, I'm not saying that, that his prediction provided value, but um, I think that like my model is not like gospel. You're never going to bet full Kelly on anything except like, you I mean, blackjack betting full Kelly makes sense. Um, Kelly, by the way, is Kelly criterion. We've talked about this before, but it basically says what um, percentage of your bankroll optimally you should bet in order to maximize your bankroll growth. Because, for example, you know, let's say I was flipping a coin and you offered me a thousand to one on on odds on it. Like that's a huge edge, but I still wouldn't want to bet all my money on it because I could lose. Right? How are you going to lose? Seems like foolproof. Well, I could, you know, if I bet all my money and and I bet on heads and it came out tails, I'm, I'm kidding, Rufus. I know how you're going. <laughs> I know. Well, in the long run, you're never going to lose. If you, but in the long run, with that, you'll never lose. If you, um, well, you'll never lose as long as you don't. Effectively. Well, if as long as you don't run out of your, as long as you don't run out of your bankroll, which is hence the the nature that money management is just as important exactly. in sports betting as um as anything else. Uh, exactly. All right, let's go back to the Neil Greenberg thing. So I think that I, I think criticizing someone and saying. Or, or based on well, so the fact I think, that the model I think so far off market is is not necessarily valid. I mean, yes, it's it's. But here's the issue: if, though, if he like, proclaims that his number is right and the market is wrong, I think that's part of what angers people. But 
I mean, just because something is off market doesn't mean it, it, it like, I mean, you could, I have think you have to like, I think you have to show, I think you have to show some nuanced understanding in the, in the sort of game. I mean, at the end of the day, like if you're pissing off Seville, you're pissing off Seville, but like you have to show some nuanced understanding as you approach um, providing this content of the fact that like when models are off by that much, there's there's probably some reason typically for that that isn't being accounted in the model. And to make these bold statements um, may be somewhat um, not problematic, but somewhat irresponsible. I think it's it's similar to people, you know, anytime you make these bold claims, which are way off market, you it's a little bit irresponsible unless you try to understand like why you're off market or what's going on or in, in Seth's case, he's basically saying like, then you should be this confident to risk this much of your bankroll on it because like you really, if you really believe this enough to tweet this out as an authoritative figure in sports, which Neil is, um, then you should take sort of the, the, you know, the, the responsibility behind it. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that you can feel good about with Massey Peabody and, and when people give you crap about any pick or thought you make, like when everyone's giving you crap about roar, about, a about Bubba after the masters or sorry. Yeah. You were basically just like, listen, I lost a lot more money on this than, than, than any of you guys would, would fathom. It's not like I'm out here trying to like help you guys lose money. Like I'm just trying to help you make money based on what I'm already down on and whatnot. Um, and the notion that like, that you're causing people, pay, I mean, you're just, you're just, you, you understand what I'm saying? Like, I think the problem is that in Neil's case, is he really putting his money where his mouth is? Um, in the case of other people like yourself, I know that you are putting your money where your mouth is. So it gives a lot more credibility to any statements you make. Okay, but Neil's providing content that is, I would say, not targeted to a gambling audience. Um, it's in the Washington Post. And he said the caps should be favored. And he mentioned some quantitative metrics, I guess. And so it's it's a certain perspective, I guess. I mean, so... What, what, right, but you... what I'm, what I'm, yeah, and, and that's fine, but I'm, I'm just telling you, like, you can disagree with it. I'm just telling you where the approach comes from, and I'm telling you where, where generally, like, where I have always netted out on this, and it's why I will meet gamblers and either sort of like naturally gravitate towards them or won't. It's when I know that people have a lot of money at stake and have actually like put money behind what they say that it makes me like believe in them much more than when I meet someone who is, you know, talking about sports betting and I find out they bet like, you know, 500 or a thousand dollars a game. And I'm just like, okay, you know, whatever. Wait, so so what, what, what you're saying is you believe in Charles Barkley's blackjack strategy. No, but I don't believe in his process either. So it's a combination of both process and actually whether they have like, whether they're putting money behind what they do. Okay. So something like, what about ESPN's VPI, which said that Houston was an overwhelming favorite after they won game five. I think they had something like an 80 something percent chance of winning the series and the market thought otherwise. And we know the flaws with BPI, but they, we also know what goes into it. I mean, I maybe I guess maybe the criticism is that the average fan doesn't know the the flaws in it, but it's I I, I think that having a quantity like 
having a good no again again this is this is really difficult right but this is difficult but does that mean we shouldn't try if it's off in a way but no this is where i don't have any problem with espn publishing bpi i don't either have what i have is a problem with their personalities okay and and ben alomar is someone that we both know really well ben worked for me at pro trade and you know early on when he was still professor at at at, uh, college um and and obviously, I have a, a ton of respect for him. A but professor I, at a college. <laughs> Sorry. No, he was doing like tobacco litigation. No, he is a professor. A, he's an economist and whatnot. Anyways, Be, so so ben, I just love that you said a college rather than actually where he was a professor. But he, I think he was at Menlo College yeah. in in the Bay. Anyways, so he what what bothers me is when he tweets out stuff about BPI as very definitive stuff. And when, whenever he's made any sort of reference to gambling or whether he's, you know, when, when you tweet something out like that, there's a, there's a high probability that someone is going to take that and believe that it is gambling information because they are looking for any edge, as we said. And it's, it's not responsible for him to do that if he's not, in some respects, willing to put mo- that kind of money down himself. And I don't believe Ben bets. I don't believe Ben is putting real money down. So I don't believe he actually like, and, and maybe it's not that he doesn't believe in what he's just saying or what BPI is saying as much. Um, and maybe it's like his, his own sort of like risk profile or whatnot. And maybe if things are legal now, maybe he'll do it. But do you understand what I'm saying? I think that the, the challenge is that it's hard to take any of that stuff with any credibility if it's not, if someone's not, you know, putting their money on it also. No, I understand where you're coming from in that, but I guess I don't see that as, as much of a problem as you do. Just because I, well, I we've always, we've, for, we've, you and I, you and I have had this conversation before. Yeah. Like we don't like, I, I, I fundamentally, when I talk to someone, you know, like when I, I think you and I have, have talked about sports cheetah before, and I think we both like him personally. And, um, you know, when, when I've spent time with him, I've realized that this guy is not making money touting, right? Like he is, he has, but the real money he's making is by either betting or getting free rolled or whatnot. And, and you can see in him that same notion um, that I, uh, of like, like feeling so much at stake with the game that he's bet on, not because he sold a pick, but because he's, he's on it on, with a big position. And to me, that gives him a lot more credibility than a ton of the other tout slash gambler personalities I've met where you meet them and you realize that they, that they're, you know, they have a little bit of skin in the game, but they really make most of their money touting. And so like at the end of the day, if their picks lose, their picks lose, but it's not going to kill their bankroll. Right. I guess the difference to me is that ESPN is like, you know, yes, it's the worldwide leader in sports, but I don't think anything, if they had something that had a lot of gambling value, it would already be priced into the market. Yeah. Because right. everybody would know about it. So I don't think, I don't think, and the other, like if some beat reporter says something about, you know, a bet they made and whether it's, you know, and, and their process is bad, like, so what, right? I mean, this is a beat reporter for, you know, some team, like they're not a gambling authority. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, people are free to have their own opinions and state their own predictions. Yeah. Right. And And it's not like people are buying these. They're not paying money for him. It's Twitter. I mean, everybody's going to say whatever they want to say. 
Yeah, no, okay. Let's just let's close this out because I, I yeah. think we agree we're like kind of agreeing to agree. And I have a crying baby upstairs. So um any final words, thoughts? Um, not really. Be nice. Enjoy your uh, enjoy enjoy your uh wonderful uh reunion and I hope you kill it in your speech. Thanks. Enjoy <laughs> Thanks guys for listening. Upstairs. Uh, we may be back next week with a, a, a longer pod where we have a guest. Um, but as always, would love to hear any comments on Twitter about what we talked about here and your ideas for what the post legalization world will look like. And with that, we'll see you next week. All right, let me do an intro real quick. Three, two, one.